Welcome to our FLC audio broadcast. We believe today's word will empower you to lead a strong life. Now, let's begin and get ready for this week's inspiring message. How's everybody doing? Good. I'm glad that you're here today. Aren't you excited to have a church that you can go to where you know you're going to be encouraged? You're going to get to enjoy some good worship, get to see good friends, and walk out with your faith increase. Isn't it good to know? Well, I'm excited that you are here. I want to begin today by just giving a little bit of a shout out to our own Marion Blue Racers last night. Uh, ended the season with a victory. On, uh, it was awesome. Hard fought victory. We enjoyed Megan opening up the night with the national anthem. She ripped it up as usual. It was totally awesome. So good stuff, good stuff, getting into the season. Uh, today I want to start a quick two-week calling it a mini-series, this week and next week, I want to talk to you about something that's kind of in my heart called This Life, This Life. So we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about this, but I want to encourage you. I believe that locked up inside this word today is some powerful truth that if you'll lock in with your faith and hear with your spiritual ear, if you'll hear with your heart today, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to help to give us some freedom over some things that we face in life. Anybody would say today, I could use a little bit more freedom in an area of my life, get a little more freedom. Anybody that way today? Well, I want to talk to you about some of that in this series, This Life. In John chapter 16, John chapter 16, we find Jesus who has now lived his life of ministry. Um, he is reaching the end of his time here on earth. For about three and a half years, he ministered was a little over 33 years old, we know, uh, history tells us, when he was crucified. And so he's nearing the end of his ministry, nearing the end of his life. And he's with his disciples in John chapter 16, and he's preparing them for a post-Jesus reality. He's preparing them for a reality without him here on this earth. And so basically what he begins to tell them in John chapter 16, he starts to talk to them about their mission. He talks to them about the things that they're going to have to do to carry on the gospel. And he begins to describe what life is going to be like when he's no longer around. You know, in leadership circles, one of the things that we recognize, one of the things that's taught consistently is this, is that our organizations are really, our teams, our organizations are only as good as they are when the leader's not around. In fact, if you want to find out how great leadership is in your organization, you find it out when the leader's not around. How do people act? How do they operate? How does the business carry on when the leader's not there? And that's when you begin to find out about uh, the, the value and the strength of the leadership of the organization. And so when we think about the life of Christ, we, we realize that 2,000 years after his death, the church of Jesus Christ is still strong, that the word of God is still changing lives, that the hope of Christ is still transforming communities. You got to believe Jesus must have been an amazing leader. And so in this moment, he's preparing his disciples, which over time would become us for a post-Jesus reality. It's a, a, a reality where Jesus is no longer present. And he starts to say to them, listen, you're going to carry on the gospel. You're going to take the good news out to the poor, to those that are in need. You're going to see hearts change, lives change. But a part of that 
Part of that reality is going to be the fact that you're going to be beat. You're going to be put in jail. People are going to talk about you. They're going to call you all kinds of names. They're going to hate you. So here's the sign-up sheet, right? Uh, you know, how, how encouraging could that have possibly been for them? And so what I want you to see is that in their life, for three and a half years, Jesus had kind of been running front man for the disciples. He'd been kind of taking all the tough stuff, and they just got to kind of hide behind Jesus and learn from him a little bit. And I can kind of imagine there's one place in the Bible where Jesus is talking to some religious leaders, and the Bible says he actually called them vipers, snakes. As we might say uh, in the past, them's fighting words, right? And so Jesus, in one, in one passage, says, you brood of vipers, you snakes, you hypocrites. And he's talking to the religious leaders of the day. And so you can imagine his disciples, as Jesus is saying this to the religious leaders, they're back here behind him. They're thinking to themselves, man, we wanted to say this forever. Finally glad somebody has the guts to stand up and say it. So they're probably behind Jesus going, yeah. You know those people, right? Something difficult needs to be done. <clears throat> done. They're fine with you doing it. And standing behind you and going, woo, I'll tear you off. Right. So Jesus is like, you snakes, you hypocrites. And they're like, yeah, what he said. Get him, Jesus. <laughs> And so they, they get to learn at his feet. They've seen him do miracles. They've watched him heal people that were lame. They've seen people who were blind get their sight back. They've seen those who have been accused of grief, grave sins forgiven completely. They have seen people who normally Jewish people would not hang out with Jesus go and have dinner with. They've seen They've watched him hang out with sinners. They've seen him do all these things in their lives and They've been able to watch him do it and learn from him, but they've never had to stand on their own. And so now in this moment, Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. And I want you to watch now the words that he speaks to them in John chapter 16 and verse 33. In this moment when he's explaining to them, I'm not going to be around any longer. Watch what he says to them. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, wait a minute. You just told us we were going to be beat up, dragged out of town, thrown into jail, spit on and hated so that we would be at peace. Kind of a strange message, right? But he doesn't stop there. He says, I told you this so you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Everybody say trouble. Let me ask you a question. Have you had any trouble in this life? So was Jesus right? Let me ask you another question. <clears throat> Do you believe that you are completely done with trouble for the rest of your life? Jesus shows us here in John 16, 33, that trouble is a part of life. <clears throat> How we deal with that trouble is what makes the difference. Now I want to read to you the amplified version of this scripture in the Amplified Bible, what it does is it does exactly what it says. it says. It just takes words that are in the scripture and blows them up by definition so we can see deeper meaning. John 16, verse 33 of the Amplified Bible says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. 
and confidence. Now watch these words. In the world, you will have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. Sound like anybody's life? Are these the things that we experience in this life? Distress, tribulation, trials, and frustration. Absolutely. So what do we know about this life? What do we know? Well, we know that this life often seems unfair. You know, my, my son Grant, our son Grant is uh, actually starting to get into the unfair phase of life. How many of your parents remember that? Well, it's not fair, Dad. Right? Son, sit down. Let me talk to you about fair. <laughs> life is unfair sometimes. Seems unfair sometimes, doesn't it? Anybody experience what you would call unfairness in life? You know, this life is not only sometimes unfair, but this life is brief. It's brief. The Bible describes this physical life we live as a vapor. If you want to understand that uh, from a physical representation, we want to see God's perspective on eternity in our lives. Light a candle, blow it out, and see how long the smoke lasts. That's what the Bible says this life is like. It's brief. So we know life is brief. We know sometimes life is unfair. We know life is imperfect at best. Anybody experiencing sheer perfection in life right now? Life is imperfect at best, isn't it? We also know, thank you, Pastor, I appreciate that. We also know that life is temporary. The Bible calls this life a temporary place. And so we know that life is not fair sometimes. We understand that life is brief. We understand that life is imperfect at best. And we also understand that life is is temporary. And we also know that Jesus said in John 16, 33, that in this life, you're going to have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. Now, if you're ever having a bad week or even a bad day, I would encourage you to not open the book of Ecclesiastes. Who's ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? If you're ever going through a hard time, until you get some eternal spiritual perspective under your belt, I would encourage you just to leave the book of Ecclesiastes shut. Let me show you why. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and just two verses in to Ecclesiastes, this is what the writer says. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. And then he takes the next several chapters to explain why it's meaningless. So I'd like for everybody right now just to take a deep breath. Because I realize that you did not wake up early on a Sunday morning. Go through all you've gone through to get dressed, have breakfast, and say, Dear God, I need church today to come and hear the preacher talk about how horrible life is. <laughs> I get that. It gets better. Look at somebody just tell them say, it gets better. It gets better. So stick with me. Stick with me. So we know, we know that life is often hard. We understand that we're going to go through difficult times. We, we get it. We, we know that it's imperfect and we're going to have valleys and sometimes we'll have success, but sometimes we're also going to face failure. 
But what's interesting is that even knowing it, we're often still surprised when it happens. Something bad happens in our lives and we go, oh, where did it come from? Well, Jesus said it was going to happen. Ecclesiastes is an entire book in the Bible about it. You've watched your friends experience it. You've gone through it. Why are we surprised when we run into difficult times? I want to submit to you this morning that one of the reasons that we struggle with hard times in life is because of our perspective about those times and the, the uh, process that we've built up in our own lives for handling those situations. Is it possible that the, the process that we've built in our lives for handling difficult times depends a lot on ignoring the fact that it's going to happen? We call it ignorant bliss. Well, I'll just pretend like nothing bad is going to happen. I'll just ignore that I think it's a possibility. And as a result of that, when bad things do happen, I can just kind of pretend like it'll never happen again. No, here's what I want you to know, is that we hear in the Bible, we see in the Bible, we also know from our own personal experience that troubled times are going to come. How we handle these moments, how we walk through these moments is what makes a difference. And I promise you, it gets better. It gets better. I want you to think about this in terms of a marriage. How many of you uh, would be brave enough, all of you, those of you here today that are married, it'll be easier for those of you who are here and your spouse is not with you today to answer this question. But how many of you that are married here today would be brave enough to say, we've had an argument in our marriage before. Anybody ever had an argument in your marriage? Anybody? All right. We still love you. All everybody, everybody that saw all those hands go up, baby, we're normal. Woo, thank Jesus. We're not the only ones, right? How many of you that are married would say there's a likelihood that in your marriage there may be another argument as the years go on? Anybody? There may be another argument. Now, hopefully you get better about how you handle it, but... Are there going to be disagreements in your marriage? Have there been in the past? Will there be in the future? I'm not trying to prophesy bad things over your marriage. What I want to show us today is that we have to learn to deal with what life is going to bring from the right perspective. Now, let me ask you a question. If there's an argument in your marriage... There are certain ways that we can get past arguing in our marriage, and I believe this is how a lot of marriages try to function today. A lot of people, in order to stop arguing in their marriage, you know what they do? They just stop talking. Or they don't share their opinion any longer. Or if they walk into a conversation and it starts to heat up, they just walk away. It's what we call dysfunction. It's not healthy. Just because you're not arguing doesn't mean the marriage is healthier. 
doesn't mean it's stronger. No, you've got to find a way to understand we're going to disagree. We just got to find a way to disagree and not hate each other, not talk bad about each other, not put each other down, not throw dishes across the room, but to work this out. Are you with me? And so we have to realize that the same thing is true in life. Ignoring the argument in the marriage doesn't make the marriage stronger. Ignoring the fact that life may get difficult doesn't make life easier. It makes us weaker for dealing with the problems. I want to show you what Jesus went on to say. Anybody ready for a little hope? Yeah? John 16, 33, Jesus says this. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've already overcome the world. Jesus says, look, life is going to be hard. You're going to endure things. People are going to laugh at you because you're a Christian. They're going to think you're crazy. They're just going to tell you it's just another thing you're trying to try to get things together. And, you know, and they're going to, you're going to fail at that too. People are going to make fun of you. Life's going to get difficult. You're going to have hard choices to make. Stuff's going to crop up that you didn't expect. And this frail network of relationships that we built to help us try to navigate and cope with life, this structure that we put into our lives of just trying to put it off to the side, avoid it, I'm not having the conversation, I refuse to go there, is going to collapse in on us at some point. But there is one through whom we can stand strong no matter the trial, no matter the tribulation, no matter the distress. There is one in whom we can take heart Take courage and know, no matter what we face in life, he's going to take us through this moment, and that one is Jesus Christ. See, it's not about ignoring the fact that there are going to be troubles in life and just believing by faith. I believe by faith. I'm never going to face anything bad again. Never going to face anything bad again. No, Jesus said we're going to face things in this life. It's how we face it that makes a difference. What I want to encourage you today is to reroute your thinking away from the fact that I can avoid bad and say this like David did, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me. I'm going to go through stuff in life, but I'm not going to go through it alone. Jesus is with me. Everybody say, Jesus is with me. Now, here's what you have to understand about that. What you have to understand about that is that gives us the chance and the opportunity for true joy. Our joy then does not become dependent upon how life is going. Because if we depend on life going well to have joy, guess what? You're going to spend a fair amount of time without joy. But if you can begin to see what God sees, it'll give us joy to know no matter what comes our way, Jesus is with us. We're going to have troubles in life, but take heart. He's already overcome the world. So let's look at the marriage situation. So we have a moment here where there's an argument and there's a disagreement in the home. We have options at that point. I don't like it. I don't like to disagree. I don't like arguing. Uh, who does like arguing? Nobody likes arguing. There's some people that have allowed themselves to become good at it, but those is only because their mind's not right. It's true. If you like to argue, there's something wrong. 
need to get it fixed. Nobody likes to argue and disagree. We like to be at peace and agree, right? So what do we do? So when, there, when disagreement comes, some people will say, you know what? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want it because I just want peace. And we mistakenly think that peace is the absence of conflict. But it's not. Peace is confidence in the conflict. That's the difference. You see, if your marriage is strong... You can have a disagreement and have peace in the conflict to know we're going to work this out. It's when we fear that things are going to fall apart that we get afraid we can't have the conversation. But when there's peace in the marriage, there's strength in the marriage because the marriage is founded on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because the marriage is founded in service to God. Because there's a spirit of unity no matter what. Because we're bought into the moment. Then we can have any conversation and know the end result is going to be good. The same thing is true when we face troubles in life. Are we going to face troubles, church? Are things going to come up that we didn't expect? And when they do, we shouldn't be surprised that they did. We should go, oh. Now, Now, maybe it caught us off guard because we didn't expect what happened. But what we should expect is no matter what happens... Jesus is with me, and he's going to take me through. I'm not afraid. I might be surprised, but I'm not afraid. I know stuff's going to happen, but Jesus is going to help me get through it. So the same thing is true in the marriage. When it's built on Christ, we can come together, and we can fix that disagreement and create agreement out of it. And so I want to show you very quickly just a few different ways that we can begin to redirect our faith into trusting God for these moments more and more. The first thing is this. It's a new way of embracing this life. The first thing that we have to do is we have to turn to the right. Look at somebody just tell them, say, turn to the right. Turn to the right. Now, this is interesting. I don't know if you know this or not about UPS, United Parcel Service. But UPS, for many, many years, in fact, not far from the beginning, inception of the, of the business, they developed what's called a right-turn-only policy. When they deliver on their routes, their goal is to take as many right turns as possible because it's the most efficient way to deliver packages. So their entire system is built around building routes for their drivers that are right-turn-only. Let me read to you some statistics about this. UPX trucks drove 2.5 billion miles last year, but the company says its package flow technology combined with right turn routes saved 28,541,472 miles and 3 million gallons of fuel. The company puts almost 92,000 trucks on the road every day, but without its efficiency and right turn routes, it would have to send out an additional 1,100 trucks. I wonder how much time we spend in life trying to avoid sin, and we're so sin-focused and trying not to do wrong, we're missing all these more efficient, more effective right turns and going right after God. How many left turns do we take because that's the way we're staring? You know what? The devil wants you to be sin-focused. He wants to remind you of the failures of your past. 
He wants to try to get you to turn left in life, to go down the, the wrong path. But God has a more efficient, more effective path for you, and that's following the path of righteousness. So we got to learn to turn to the right. Forget about the wrong. Just forget about it. I want you just to forget about sin. Just forget about sin. You know why? Because Jesus paid the price so we could forget about sin. Does that mean you won't sin? No. It just means that you have a relationship with God. That when it happens, you can ask for forgiveness. That doesn't give you the right to go out and live life turning left all the time. Doesn't give you the right to go out and just, well, I'm going to sin all day long, and then around midnight tonight, I'll just ask God to forgive me, and everything's covered. No. That's not how it works. No, it's a covenant of forgiveness that occasionally, when we happen to go the wrong way, we can say, God, help me, forgive me, and help me get back on the right path. We've got to turn to the right. Everybody say, turn to the right. Now, I, there's some research about this, and it's kind of a little all over the place, so I took kind of the minimum of the number of thoughts that we think in a day, and the, and the number is right around 12,000 thoughts that the average person thinks in a day. It varies all over the place. Some people, I think, maybe have three, but uh, <laughs> and then I know some people that have three million because they share them all, right? <laughs> on, on average, about 12,000 thoughts a day that'll run through our minds, and if you do the math and just kind of average things out, that averages out to about four seconds of thought, waking hours that we have to think, about four seconds of thought. I want you to capture this idea. 12,000 thoughts that we have a day. The Bible talks about changing our lives by renewing our minds. If we could only capture just, if we could capture just 50, just 50 of those 12,000 thoughts that in the past would have been sin-focused thoughts, thoughts where we're either thinking about sinning or trying to uh, avoid sin or feeling guilty because of sin, if we were to take just 50 of those left-hand turn thoughts, Thoughts that are trying to get us off the track. And we every day just capture 50, which by the way is 0.4% of the average number of thoughts that we'll think in a day. And we capture those 50 and we harness them and we retrain those thoughts to turn right instead. To think about the goodness of God. To think about God's plan for our life. To pray for somebody else. Just 50 of those thoughts. It represents 1,200 hours a year of thought life that we would be putting onto the things of God. Let me ask you a question. If you began to think about God 1,200 more hours a year, would it make a difference in your life? What is that? We got to learn to turn to the right. And at the end of the day, church, your hands are on the steering wheel. There's, there's no truth to Jesus take the wheel. If I'm ever in the car with you and you freak out and say, Jesus, take the wheel, I'm going to shove you in the back seat and grab the steering wheel. And then Jesus can tell me where to drive. Right? We're in control of our right-hand turn, so we've got to learn to turn to the right. Turn to somebody, just tell them, say, turn to the right. We read very quickly for you, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, which I love how simple Romans 12, 9 makes this thought for us, says this, 
hate what is wrong and tightly hold to that what is good. Isn't that exciting? Just hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Just we make it a habit in our lives just to hold more tightly to what is good and just forget about the sin. I want to tell you, just forget about the sin. You mean I don't have to think about sin anymore? You don't have to think about sin anymore. Jesus took care of it for you. You're forgiven. You don't have to think about sin anymore. You mean I don't have to think about sin? No, you don't have to think about sinning. Don't think about it. Just forget about it. Just do what's right. Get focused on what's right. Does that mean you're not going to mess up? No, just get focused on what's right. And what you'll find is that sin becomes less and less and less a part of your life. Turn to the right. Secondly, we got to live this life for God. You know, as, as parents, and, and some of you can relate to this if you have small kids especially, our refrigerators and our cupboards are probably full of stuff that our kids have made for us. Little pictures that they'll color, little crafts that they'll create. And they come and they, they hand these things to us, right? And we love it, don't we? We look at the pictures and we think, wow, that's beautiful, baby. What amazing artwork. And our daughter, Allie, brought one to me the other day. She had colored a flower on both sides, but one side was a different color than the other side. And she was explaining to me, Dad, look, you like the color of this flower? Watch this. Boom. And she turns around as a different color. And I was like, that's awesome. She goes, it turns different colors. It's awesome. And so we hung it on the refrigerator, and we love it. And sometimes, as a result of that, we end up with stuff like this in our lives. I have no clue what this is. Be quite honest with you, really not a whole lot I could use it for. Maybe if I get hot one day or something, I don't know. But our closets get cram-packed full of things like this that our, our kids do for us. And as parents, we love it. We love what they've created for us. Thanks, Mark. Oh, it's beautiful. Good job. <laughs> and we, we love what they do for us. But I want you to see what happens in those moments. As children, they're presenting something to us we didn't ask them to do. And they're asking us to accept it and value it. Early in life... That's okay. Why? Because they're learning. They're learning what's valuable. They're learning what's important. But I wonder today how many people are living their Christian life in that same way. They're going out and making their own decisions, doing whatever they want to do, and then they're bringing that to God and saying, God, accept this. Accept it. It's what I chose to do. I don't know if you wanted me to do it or not, but I, I just want to give it to you now. You accept this. Put your approval on this, God. But see, that's not a life lived for God. That's a life lived for ourselves that we want God to approve. But if we're going to have a God-lived life, it's going to mean reversing that process. And instead of just making our own decisions and saying, God, approve them, we start by saying, God, what are your plans? That's what I want to do. See, early on when we're just immature and we're just learning, it's okay to come and say, God, do you approve of this? Because it helps us learn his character and his nature. But as we grow and progress in life, and especially in Christianity, we should get to the place where we understand more the nature of God. And so we're coming to God and saying, God, my life is lived for you. What do you want from me? And he shows us. And he lovingly says, this is what I need you to do. And then we go about doing those things. Let me show you this in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6. 
Proverbs 3, 6 says this, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Now, how does this apply to this life? This idea that life is hard and we're going to have trouble, but Jesus is overcoming. How does that apply? Well, how often do we get ourselves in trouble? How often do we make our own plans and we end up in a bad spot and then we come and say, God, approve it. God, help me. God, get me out of this. But we never would have gotten into it in the first place had we had the right order in how we make decisions to say, God, what do you want from me? Show me the path. Because I know that on your path is deliverance. I know that on your path is power. On your path is wisdom and peace. On my own path is a bunch of thorns and trees I don't expect. Stuff that's going to whack me upside the head out of nowhere. But if I'm following your path, I can be sure you're clearing the way ahead of me. Do you see this today, church? And so we have to live our lives for God. Not just assume what he wants, ask what he wants. That will keep us so that when trouble comes, he's already out ahead of us working it out. I just had a quick conversation backstage. And uh, a part of this conversation, the person that I was talking to just recently had a pretty bad thing happen in their lives. Their garage burnt to the ground and all the tools and everything in it. Unexpected, didn't know it was gonna happen, but guess what? They walk with Jesus. When you're walking with Jesus, the unexpected crops up, you don't get all bent out of shape about it, you don't get all in fear about it, you don't lay awake at night staring at the ceiling, you just say, Jesus, thank you that you're with me, you're gonna help me get through this and we're gonna come out even better. Just told me backstage, he's got to go through the process of replacing all the tools and everything. And just told me the backstage that he just talked to another friend here in the church that just bought a house. And behind that house was a garage full of woodworking tools. And as a result of that conversation, was able to get an amazing deal on all that equipment. That person's not interested in it. Is that amazing, guys? Happens all the time. Happens all the time. If God did it for him, he'll do it for you. But we've got to get our lives in line and live our lives for God and say, God, what do you want from me? And not just say, God, please accept everything that I'm doing. Please approve everything that I'm doing. Instead, God, show me. What do you want from me? The Proverbs 3, 6 teaches us this. Says to in all your ways acknowledge him. That's the first part. That's, that's the, the childlike part where we're saying, God in everything, I'm acknowledging you. When times are great, I'm giving you the praise for the grace and the blessing. When times are difficult, I'm praising you that you're going to take us through. I know you didn't bring it upon us, but you're going to take us through it. And so in all of our ways and everything in life, we acknowledge God. He's our provider. He's our blesser. He's our father. He cares for us. And then it says in the second part of Proverbs 3, 6, that he will direct our paths. That's when our life begins to turn and shift. And we go away from me making my plans and asking God to approve them to saying, God, what's your plan? Where do you want me to go today? And when we do that, he helps to navigate us through the hard times in life. Lastly, not only do we have to learn to turn to the right, not only do we have to begin to live our lives for God, but lastly, we have to develop an eternal perspective develop an eternal perspective. We're going to talk more about this next week, but I want to give you just a snippet of it before we go today. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 
The Bible teaches us that God has planted eternity in the heart of every man, in the human heart. We all have a sense of eternity. Now, as a kid, and you may, and I still today even, I sometimes lay in my bed and think about eternity and my mind just starts to like boil. It's like, you can't, it's hard to put your hands around that idea. But God has locked that idea up in our hearts. We understand there's more to who we are than just this life. There's an eternity that we're facing. We're going to talk more about it next week. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, this is what the Bible says. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Somebody say, I don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. I don't lose heart. I know that life is going to be difficult sometimes. I know that things are going to come my way I didn't expect. But instead of letting it blindside me and steal my joy, I don't lose heart. Because even though I'm facing tough things on the outside, inwardly I'm growing day after day. Getting stronger and stronger. More and more filled with faith. More and more victory in my life. Overcoming more and more obstacles that before would have held me back. God's helping me blow through those today. Why? Because on the outside I realize stuff's going to happen. But on the inside there's a growing sense of hope in my heart. There's a growing sense of courage in my heart. Why? Because Jesus is my leader. Jesus is leading the way. And so we understand in verse 17, the Bible says, For our, this light, these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. One day, we will look back on this brief life and we will shake our heads and ask ourselves, what were we worried about? What did we stress out over that stuff so much for? Why did we spend so many sleepless hours and give ourselves ulcers and invite disease into our body because of the stress? Why did we do that? This glory far outweighs any of those things. What God is doing for me now in eternity in his heavenly home far out, this is not even a comparison. And what 2 Corinthians is showing us here is we can have that attitude now. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to have that perspective. We can have an eternal perspective now that says, you know what? Where I'm going far outweighs anything I'm going through here. And God has strengthened me. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Even though fear rises up, he's given me power and love and a sound mind. Bring it on. Bring it on. One of my favorite lines in a movie is the emperor's new groove. There are a couple guys floating down a river. And they're headed for some falls. And uh, one of them says to the other, Cusco says to his, his uh, friend there, he says, uh, waterfalls ahead, right? The guy says, right. His long fall, right? Right. Sharp rocks at the bottom? Right. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> what if we had this attitude, church? What if we said, you know what? I know life is going to have troubles in it. We experience it every day on varying levels. Trouble for you may not be trouble for me. The trouble I face may not seem like trouble to you, but all of us face trouble. What if we had this perspective? You know what? I know life's going to throw some curveballs. I know things are going to happen, but I've got good cheer because Jesus has already overcome the world. He's already seen this from his perspective. He's already made a way that I can bear it. I can escape it. He's going to bring me through so nothing can get me down. Bring it on.
Bring it on. That's hope. That's hope. So we have to have an eternal perspective. Romans 8, 18 says it this way. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. I love the amplified version of this in closing. It says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this life, this present life, are not worth being compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us and for us and conferred on us. There's glory for your life. There's hope for your life. Let's not avoid it. Let's not ignore it. Let's look at life and go, life, I know you want to try to trouble me, but I refuse to be troubled. Life, I know you want to try to take my joy, but I refuse for my joy to be taken. Life, I know you're asking to take and steal my peace, but I refuse for my peace to be taken. And there's nothing you can bring at me that Jesus hasn't already seen. And if I'll stick with him and follow his plan, he's going to lead me through these moments. And that's going to give me joy no matter what I face. Are you with me, church? Let's stand together today. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you, God, that no matter what we face in this life, how big or how small it may seem, the obstacles that are in front of us, that you have given us a firm plan and strategy for success in life. And that strategy and that plan is leaning upon you, is trusting in you, is knowing that in those moments you're going to deliver wisdom, you're going to deliver strength, you're going to deliver healing, you're going to deliver repair. That as we follow you, we can believe, as David said, though he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, you're here with us. We're not going to fear evil. Your rod and staff, they comfort us. We can have peace in the middle of it, God. So I just speak peace right now over every person here today that may be facing a troubling time. Don't be surprised by it, but rise up in the spirit of God and say, I'm going through. With the help of Jesus Christ, I'm going to survive this and not just survive, but thrive in this moment. Thank you for it, Lord. God, I just pray that you'd make that word real to their hearts and their spirits today. That, that in the way, in the past, that anxiety may have been crushing upon their life, that it literally may have thrown them into days of depression and darkness, that the reverse would begin to happen as they put their faith and trust in you, that when troubling times come, it no longer brings darkness, but the light inside of them grows to the place where they rise up and their faith is strengthened because of what you helped them endure. That's my prayer for all of us, God. I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. We trust that today's message has been an encouragement to you. If you have any questions or would like more information about Family Life Church, visit us on the web at www.yourfamilylife.org.